This is a recap for personality theory, trait theory, and the development of attitudes. This is for unit two, behavior and discipline, which is the exam unit. First of all, we're gonna look at personality theory. Personality suggests that we can divide every single person into two types of personality, type A or type B. Personality theory, uh, if you have group a or sorry, type A personality, you tend to lack patience, uh, have strong urges for a competition, have a high desire to achieve your goals, uh, always be in a rush to complete activities, and will be happy to try and multitask when placed under time constraints. When you don't have much to do, you'll try and do everything at once. And and however, this also leads to people uh, tending to lack tolerance towards others and experience high levels of stress and anxiety because they put too much uh, work on themselves. The opposite of this would be type B personality. Type Bs tend to be more tolerant towards others, more relaxed, and uh, they reflect more than the type A counterparts. They experience lower levels of anxiety uh, and higher levels of imagination and creativity. However, this means that they're also quite prone to procrastination because they like to think about things and think, uh, try and be creative, but the actual doing part tends to not go down too well. So because of their personality types, type B individuals are less likely to suffer from stress, but also tend to struggle to get things done. Whereas type A personalities will get things done, will be motivated, they're proactive. However, they often take on too much, which can lead to being excessively competitive, but also be getting stressed more often. Next is trait theory. Trait theory suggests that individuals have a certain amount of characteristics that can explain their behavior. And no matter what situation you put them into, they will act in that way. These traits are stable aspects of our personality and mostly inherited from our parents. And these traits can be used to predict a person's behavior based on the individual's traits that they have. So for example, are they shy or sociable? Are they passive or aggressive? Or are they optimistic or pessimistic? The theory contends that it is these traits that heavily influence how an individual will behave regardless of the situation. We can put you in any situation possible and depending on your traits, you will always act in the same way. An example of this is introverted versus extroverted. All individuals will fall somewhere along this continuum. No one is normally completely introverted or completely extroverted. They wouldn't be able to function in society. We will fall somewhere between the, these two extremes. And it is their location that will determine how they will behave in a certain situation. If we are generally quite introverted, when we, no matter what situation we put you into, you will act in that way. So trait theory is they are inherited, they are enduring, they can predict a person's behavior. Some key vocabulary from this is traits, is an identifying characteristic. Extrovert is outgoing and socially confident. Introvert is shy and quiet. Next is situational theory. Situational theory say is opposite to uh, trait theory. So trait theory suggests that no matter what situation we put you in, you'll act in a certain way. The situation approach is different from that in that it says that the situation that we're put into will dictate how we uh, react to it. 
it argues that it's far more important than the traits. So what the situation that we're in influences our behavior more so than the type of person that we are. This behavior will change based on the different situations that we're put into. It also uh, focuses on how the environmental factors will influence our behavior. And this came from, well, this was based on research by Zimbardo. An example of this would be his prison, the Stanford Prison Experiment in 1971, which we'll look at uh, in later videos. In this experiment, individuals were randomly selected as guards to exhibit, uh, as they exhibited aggressive behavior traits towards individuals who were selected as prisoners. Zimbardo argued that this experiment provided evidence that no matter what, what type of person you are, the situation that you're in is what is most likely going to affect your behavior. He's basically said that when you put somebody in a aggressive situation, they're more likely to become aggressive. Next is the development of attitude. So this is understanding the theories that, we, that affect our development of attitude and how it impacts our individual behavior. So attitude. Attitude is a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors towards an object, person, thing, or an event. And we can have both positive and negative attitudes towards something. They're often the result of experiences or upbringing, and they can have a powerful influence over how we behave. Whilst attitudes are enduring, they can also change. So uh, in terms of when we say enduring, they will stick by us regardless of the situation that we are put in. But we can also learn to adapt these attitudes as we as we develop. So the development of attitudes. So one of the main things is going to, uh, one of the three things that's going to affect how we develop our attitudes is going to be our previous experiences. These attitudes are formed directly from our past experiences, a bit like what Sigmund Freud was saying when he was talking about those um, childhood experiences having uh, an impact on our behavior through the unconscious mind. But these attitudes uh, may be emerged due to a direct personal experience or seeing somebody else have those experiences. The next is modeling the behaviors of others. We learn, again, we're putting multiple uh, of their psychological perspectives together now. We had a bit of Sigmund Freud in terms of our previous experiences. Now we're looking at a little bit of Bandura that suggests that we model the behaviors of others. So when somebody uh, we look up to, could be our parents, could be friends, could be a celebrity, when they display a particular attitude towards something, we as an individual are more likely to develop that same belief, that same attitude towards that event, object, thing, or person. A good example is could be dogs. So if you've had a positive past experience of a dog, you're more likely to have a positive attitude towards having a dog. Similarly, if your parents, people that we spend a lot of time with, if they have a positive attitude towards uh, dogs, then we're more likely to have a positive attitude towards dogs also. The third um, way that we develop attitudes is through cultural influences. The social roles and social norms that give us an understanding of what our attitudes should be towards something. Social roles relate to how people are expected to behave in a particular context. And again, the example I used in class was British people and queuing up. So the, pic uh, so the picture on the screen uh, shows that the lines, the barriers which indicate where people should queue have stopped almost a third of the picture in. But yet people have still continued to queue up in the same shape, in the same formation, even though there's no barriers there to tell them where to stand. 
because the social norms, the social roles of that situation is that you should be queuing up in this way. The barriers have demonstrated what the social norm is and people are continuing to do it. Operant conditioning also be used to influence how the attitude is developed. Imagine a man who has just started smoking whenever he lights up a cigarette and people start complaining, oh, that's not nice, you need to leave, go get outside. That is a negative impact on, like, he's getting that negative feedback about his actions. This negative feedback will eventually cause him to develop an unfavorable opinion of smoking and may decide to give up the habit. If he's not getting that negative reinforcement, but actually getting a positive reinforcement, that's only going to increase his, um, his, his positive attitude towards that event. Next is the theory of planned behavior. So this is from 1985, and this theory links to the belief that an individual holds and how likely that they are to behave in a certain way. Three key elements are used to shape the intention of this individual. First one is attitude, then it goes on to subjective norms, and then the perceived behavioral control. And again, in the diagram on the screen, you can see that these three all feed into the person's intention. If they have a positive intention to do a, a behavior, that will lead to a behavior. But the intention has to be there first. This theory is based on the three principles I just mentioned. Attitude towards behavior, this is the individual's belief that the behavior will have a positive or negative contribution towards their life. The second is subjective norm. These are the opinions that the individual of the individual surrounding that person. Like for example, their peer groups, their social norms, their cultural beliefs, their friends and family. Do they have a positive idea of what that person's behavior is going to be? If it's positive, it'll increase the intention. And finally, the perceived behavioral control. This is the individual's own belief on how hard or easy it will be to display a certain behavior or to act in a certain way. So a positive attitude towards the social behavior, of a good attitude towards that, a favorable social norm, so uh, people around me think that's quite a normal thing to do, and a high level of perceived behavioral control, I understand how to do it, uh, is required to form a positive intention. And therefore, I am more likely to behave in that way. Example could be Clara is more likely to stick to her exercise plan if, one, she has a positive attitude towards that uh, behavior because she perceives it as the activity is being enjoyable. Two, she has the support of her peers because people around her are saying, that's a really good thing to do. You're exercising, you're getting healthy. And she believes that she has the skills to overcome those ob any obstacles that she may face at the gym. She knows how to use the gym. She's been there before. She's had her inductions. She knows she can be safe and she knows she can do it effectively. Because she has all three of those, she is more likely to stick to her exercise plan. But if one of these constraints is unfavorable, the required behavior is much less likely to happen because our intention is going to be lower. The likelihood decreases even further if two constraints are unfavorable. So in Clara's case, if she does not enjoy her exercise, or if she does not enjoy exercise, she'll have a negative attitude towards it. She may then have a reduced ability to actually do that behavior because our attention is going to be lower if it's not normal to go and do those sorts of things then it drops even further so the intention can be on a scale of high intention to low intention depending on whether or not we have uh, matched the three key elements the attitude the subjective norm and the perceived behavior control 
all of these leading to the intention and the intention is how likely are we to do that behavior. Key vocabulary for here is behavioral intention, the perceived likelihood of a person carrying out this behavior. The attitude, a person's individual feelings and evaluation of that behavior. Subjective norms, how others in society view this behavior. And perceived behavior control, the individual's belief that one has control over a specific action or behavior. Next is Carl Dweck's Spectrum of the Mindset Theory. Mindset theory is based on the idea of the existence of two types of mindsets. First one's fixed and the second one is growth. A fixed mindset is an individual who believes that they have a limited number of qualities. This includes intelligence and talent and they are fixed. They cannot be changed. They can't get, they can't get any better, but they also can't get any worse. So what's the point in trying? They hold the belief that their ability to achieve comes from the talent that they were born with. Whatever they have, they have. And trying to develop the skills even further through learning is a bit pointless because they can just do what they can do. Individuals who display a fixed mindset are less likely or are more likely to just change and reject new ideas because, well, the old way always worked or this is the way it's always been done. They don't like to try out new things and they're very stuck in their ways. This means that they will place a lot of limitations on themselves. And as soon as things start to get hard, they will give up very easily. They lack grit, the ability to fail at something and try again. The opposite to this is a growth mindset. And this is what we want everyone to be, particularly in students and maybe even just as important in the Uniform Protective Services. An individual with a growth mindset is a person who believes that the ability and success will come through their hard work and what they've learned. And therefore that requires time and effort to be able to, to achieve in that learning. When faced with a challenge, completely opposite to a fixed mindset, a growth mindset is more likely to try even harder. So when things get hard, they don't give up. They try harder, they try a different approach. They'll even go and ask people for help because they want to get past that challenge. They won't just give up. Those with a growth mindset do not give up when tasks becomes challenging. They will always remain open to suggestions, to learning, to improving. They'll take on feedback and they'll take on any ideas anyone else can have and they will try changing if they believe it might be better. And again, as we improve how the Uniform Protective Services work, we now know that policing that we had back in the 70s and 80s is not as effective as the policing that we have now. We understand that different techniques for de-escalation that we require now is much better than we had before. So we have to be open to these change all the times. An example of a, a mindset could be a student who believes that they are incapable of doing maths sums. The likelihood of the student's willingness to attempt maths and improve, according to Carl Dweck, is dependent on the mindset. So a student with a fixed mindset or a closed mindset will not even attempt the advanced math skills. They think, look, well, what's the point of attempting the higher one when I know what I can do and this is what I can do? A student with a growth mindset will embark uh, on maths and enjoy the challenge. They will enjoy trying the harder maths. They will try to figure out the ideas. They won't be put off by the fact they don't know how to do it yet. They will develop their skills. They will develop their knowledge and they will be able to do it soon. 
but not yet. They understand that they can't do something yet, but they will if they put the effort in, if they learn, and if they improve. So on Teams, if you go on to PowerPoint 2.2, you'll be able to see the video of Carl Dweck explaining her theories. Next, some key vocabulary from mindset theory is fixed mindset, individual who believe their qualities are fixed and cannot change. Growth mindset is individual who thrive on challenge and are always eager to learn more. The PowerPoints for, these, uh, for this video can be found on Teams on lesson 2.1 and 2.2.